welcome to. Want to join them? Yeah. Otherwise, you've got to listen to me talk. And that's got to be a reason to go, hasn't it? Yep, see, they're flooding out now. Church Sally Oak. Uh, we shared a, a talk about our vision and values as a church, the Chalter Church that we want to become, the Chalter Church we believe we are, but we're moving towards that and growing in that. And if you ha- if you come and you haven't heard that, perhaps you weren't around last Sunday, that's fine. I would just encourage you to, to catch up with that if you can. Um, again, if we have your emails, you will have had an email this week with a link on it. If not, if you go on the Encounter Church website, and click listen again you will find it on there um, and that would be good to, to listen to because we shared this vision and this values and uh, we read an account last week which was from the gospel of john so one of jesus disciples john oh we're not changing our mind <laughs> one of jesus's disciples john Okay, one of Jesus' disciples, John, wrote an account, which we call the Gospel of John, of his time with Jesus. And uh, we read these words from John chapter 20, verse 19 to 22. And this story takes place after the resurrection. So Jesus had died, but he'd risen again from the dead. And the disciples were hiding away. They were not, not sure what was going on. And Jesus comes and stands in the midst of them. And that, this is what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You can imagine, can't you? You know. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So these are some of the last words. Not long after this, Jesus ascends back into heaven. There's some of the last words that Jesus said to his followers and John wrote them down. And what he's doing, he's not just saying, peace be with you. He says, I am sending you. He commissions them. He sends them out as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Sending them where? (coughs) Sending them to do what exactly? Well, there's a clue. Sending them, it said, as the Father has sent me, Jesus, so I'm sending you. Sending them to do what Jesus has been sent to do. Sending them out to continue his work. And you know, if you're a Christian today, you are a disciple of Jesus and we are called to be, to continue his mission of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. What does Jesus say about his mission? One of 
Jesus' other disciples, Mark, wrote these words, Mark 10, 45. He says, even the Son of Man, which is another word for Jesus, even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, the purpose of me being here is to serve. And we are literally saved to serve. Now, for many, many, many years ago, I was in the Salvation Army only for a couple of years. And uh, in the Salvation Army, if you've ever seen the uniforms they wear, you'll notice they have an S on both of their collars or on their lapels. It doesn't mean they're in the SS. I think that was something else. But it actually means saved to serve. That's what it means. That's why they have S and an S. You'll see it if you see them. So why should we serve? First of all, it is our proper worshipful response to the mercy and grace of God over our lives. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words to the Roman church. He says in chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul's saying to the people in Rome, we're to offer our bodies, our physical selves to God. But not in the same way as they used to offer dead animals to God before Jesus came. No, we're to be living active sacrifices. And if you notice, the first word of that verse was, therefore. Beginning of chapter 12 in Romans, therefore. And whenever you read, therefore, you've got to know what happened before because you don't know therefore what. And you've got to remember that chapters and verses in the Bible were, were put in after the initial writing. They were like edits to try and help. Can you imagine trying to find somewhere if they weren't there? They're very, very, very helpful. But they were in the original. Paul didn't go, you know what, I've got to the end of chapter 11 now, I'm going to draw a line and that just stuff. But they put them in, and, it, and as I say, they're helpful. But sometimes we have to remember that actually one does follow the other. And if you read chapter 11, Paul is talking about God's mercy. And then he says this at the end of chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God? that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul is like, he's thinking about the mercy and the grace of God and he suddenly comes out with this, this little anthem of praise. From him, to him, through him are all things. To him be the glory. He's awestruck as to who God is and how great and how powerful he is. And then in the next verse, he says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, he's saying, because God is so great and he's so powerful and he's so merciful and loving and gracious, therefore, your response needs to be worship, and that is being a living sacrifice. This is who God is, and this should be our response offering ourselves this is our worship now we come into church on a sunday and we talk about worship and we think about singing 
And that's worship, singing is part of our worship and part mm. of our praise expressing that to God. But if we think that worship is just that 15 minutes or whatever on a Sunday morning, then we've missed it big time. Because actually our worship is the giving of ourselves to God on a daily basis. Often when we think about our spiritual lives, we think in terms of spiritual and spirit and, and all of that. And, 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 you know, we must, our bodies almost, you know, not so important. But, you know, he's saying, you know, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Your body is important. So we should serve God because it's our proper and worshipful response to the mercy and grace that he has over our lives. We should also serve God because he's given us skills and abilities and gifts to use for the benefit of others in his kingdom. And Matthew in his gospel records a parable that Jesus told on this subject. And I'm going to read, it's Matthew 25, starting at 14. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. And it's a parable, it's not this actually, it's not saying this actually happened, it's a parable, it's a story that tells something about God and his character and how the kingdom of God is. And he says, it's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more, ten altogether. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your gold in the ground. Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bank so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. You know, God has graciously given us all gifts and abilities. We're not all the same. We're all unique. Not one single person sitting in this room is the same as someone else. Some have more than others. feels like some people are five-bag people. Some people are three-bag people. They're not the same. 
But actually, none of us deserve anything from God. Mm. But God expects us to be good stewards of what he's given us. He wants us to use our gifts and our talents, however big, many or few they are, to serve him. Notice the first two servants acknowledged that they'd been entrusted with something. You know, something they didn't deserve. They didn't deserve the master's money, but they'd been entrusted with it. And they valued it and they worked hard with it. They doubled it. The third man had a different attitude. He's operating out of fear. The first men saw God's kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy. The third one thought that the master was harsh and unkind. And you see, how we see God impacts how we serve. If you think God is loving and kind and generous and you don't deserve anything but he is so graciously giving you so much, then you will serve from a heart of gratitude, a soft heart. Your attitude to service will be sweet. If you see God as a harsh taskmaster, then your service will be begrudging and there won't be any joy in it. When we use the gifts and God, the gifts and talents God has given us in his service and for his glory and out of a relationship of love towards him, there's no greater sense of joy and satisfaction. So how do we know what kind of serving to do? This is where things get a bit complicated because, as I've said, we're all unique. We all have unique gifts and abilities. We're also in different seasons of life right now. You know, there's so many different age, ages and parents, single people, older people, young people, so many different people. We all have different commitments to come. So when it comes to serving, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. So where can we begin? Well, the Apostle Paul, who wrote many, many letters to early churches as they were sort of getting going and setting up, he said this to the church in Ephesus. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So firstly, God puts leaders of different kinds in the church to equip and help the church members to grow and to serve. You know, when I was growing up in church as, as a child, there seemed to be this idea that the pastor did everything. The pastor was paid, after all. So the pastor did everything. There were only three things that this particular pastor couldn't do. One was play the piano, because I guess he'd never learned. Two, lead the Sunday school, because he probably would have frightened the children, I think. Certainly frightened me back in the day. The third thing he couldn't do was arrange the flowers, which at the, that point in history was a, a really, really important part of, uh, of the church. So he did everything in the church, apart from playing the piano, leading the Sunday school, and flower arranging. His wife played the piano, did the Sunday school, and arranged the flowers. 
So between them, they were, they were the complete unit. And I'm not criticising them, I'm just, you know, laughing a little bit when you look back on it. But the pastor said, the Bible says that the pastor or the church leaders are there not to do everything themselves, but to equip the body so that we all grow into this strong body. Every ligament, supporting ligament, drawing together, growing, building itself up in love as each part does its work. Not as the pastor does the work or the pastor's wife or the pastor's husband in our case, but as each part does the work. That doesn't mean I only work one day a week. Don't worry about that, you know. But, you know, if you decide one day that you're going to sit down and not move, from now on, you'll soon find that your muscles and your ligaments seize up. You actually will get to the point where you can't physically move anymore. And you know, if we want to grow into a healthy church body, it's vital that each part does its work. For some of us, our service is in equipping others, and I do count it a privilege to do this job and to be paid to do it. I don't take it for granted. But part of my role is to help you find out how you are to serve God and I'm happy to do that so what if that's not you what if you're oh, I'm not a church leader I think the next thing to do is to recognize what gifts and abilities has God entrusted to you what are you good at and here's where we can sometimes get a bit down on ourselves and like well I'm not good at anything oh you know I don't want to be proud I'm not going to be proud. And so because we don't want to be proud and go, oh, look at me, I've got five talents. We don't want to be proud, so we tend to sort of slink away and go, well, I haven't got anything, you know? Imagine someone gave you a gift for Christmas. And then imagine you bump into that person in January and they say, did you have any gifts for Christmas? And you go, no, no, I haven't got any gifts. How would that giver feel? And yet God gives us gifts and sometimes we can go, well, I've got nothing to offer, I haven't got any gifts. How does God feel about that, I wonder? You know, how does God feel if we reject the gifts and the abilities that he has given to us? We can also fall into the trap of comparison. Has anyone ever done this? I wish I was more like them. I wish I could do that. I wish, you know, they can do that. Look at them. I wish I could do that. You know? Look at them. They've got five talents. I've only got two. And we compare ourselves. If you are into social media at all, it's one of the worst places because people post pictures of their best day and their best moments and their kids sitting there with beautiful smiles looking all wonderful and you think, what a great family. Why isn't mine like that? And you don't see the fact that the minute before the photo was taken, they're all fighting. And they did the same again five minutes after the end of the photo, you know? Comparison is really, really destructive. Let's not compare ourselves with anyone else. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Just as a body, through what, though one has many parts, all its parts form one body. We were all baptised with one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave, free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Let me say that again. The body is not just one part, but many. What if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body? 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there is many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You have a unique part to play. God wants you and what you bring. He doesn't want two of me or three of Alistair or 25 of David. He wants each one of us the way he has created us to be. And I hope that's an encouragement to someone today to think, actually, I do have something to bring. I do have something to give. Yeah, I may not be like them or like them. I may not be able to stand on the stage and do this, that, although I can't, you know, but actually there is a part for me. You might want to think about what, what are you passionate about? It's all very well saying, well, I'll go and work with the kids if you can't stand children. Or I'll offer to do some practical jobs where you don't know one end of a screwdriver from the other. Please don't. <laughs> Another question to ask yourself is what season of life am I in? You know, if you're a person who, say, newly retired, still fit and healthy, hardly any family commitments, you might have loads of times to serve. If you're a mother with small children and working full time, you may not have the time to say the word serve sometimes. And we have different seasons. We may be older and physically not able to do what once we did. But God knows that. He knows our different seasons of life. And those seasons change over time. I don't believe that God wants us to feel guilty about how we used to serve him in the past. That maybe we can't do those things now. And some of our service to him will come out of our life season. You know, you may be bringing up children to love the Lord. You might be caring for an elderly relative. You might be supporting mums in the school playground. You know, everything that we turn our hands to is part of our service to God, not just what we might do in relation to the church, although that is important too. Our life season might impact the level to which we can serve. But remember the verse I said at the beginning said this, we give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And sacrifice means, if you give something sacrificially, it means it's cost you something. Think about that person who's newly retired and got plenty of energy and not many family commitments. If they said, well, I'm going to give an hour to serve, that's actually probably cost them very little. Whereas the mum with her three children running around and full-time job might say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to find half an hour to serve and do something. That's very sacrificial for her case. Do you see what I mean? Sacrifice is different to different people depending on who you are in your life circumstances. But you know what I believe about church is that if we all give sacrificially, 
Even though those gifts will be bigger and smaller depending on your level of what a sacrifice is. But if we can all give sacrificially, then the church will be built into this strong body that the Bible talks about. We may have unequal gifts. We may have unequal abilities. We may have unequal amounts of time. But we can equally sacrifice. And I want to say this, you know, I'm not, this is not about judgment. I'm not judging people in any way. It is up to you, between you and God, what is a sacrifice to you. It's not about a guilt trip. And service sometimes is seen and sometimes it's unseen. And it reminded me of this week, um, I was talking to someone about my mum. And um, my mum had a friend at her church and during lockdown, when we all couldn't go anywhere, do you remember that? She used to ring her up every single day to make sure she was okay, to pray with her, to talk to her and to just be a friend. Now only I knew that, no one else knew that. I knew it because this lady then used to make my mum yoghurts and I used to have to break the rules about once a fortnight to go to her house to pick up this yoghurt and take it to my mum. Fortunately, they were caught, but it wasn't really on the rules. But, you know, it was unseen. And you might think, well, I don't really know what I can do, but actually, once a week, I can pray for someone and I can send them a message and I can encourage them. And that's unseen. And so this mm. isn't about judgment because your service might be unseen. It might not be. But the, I can tell you this, it's seen to God. Whatever we do is seen to the Lord. Remember Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's very sad when people come away from church and feel guilty and condemned. Because that is not what Jesus wants to put on us. He says, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when we find a place to serve that fits with our talents and our abilities and the season of life that we're in, it's a blessing and it's a joy. Because we found that God's yoke is easy. It is not about judgment about anybody. So we should serve God because it's our proper worshipful response to the mercy and grace of God in our lives. We should serve because God has given us skills, abilities and gifts to use for the benefit of others and his kingdom. And we serve God best when we engage with our unique gifts, the things we're passionate about and in line with the season of life that we're in. If we're not careful, we could think, oh, the pastor's obviously got some jobs that need doing and she's using this opportunity to try and fill some gaps. And it could come across that way, and I really hope that it doesn't, because that is not my motivation mm. at all. My motivation is from that verse that says the pastor is given to equip the saints for works of service. And enabling and equipping you to serve the Lord is also mm. enabling and equipping you to fulfil your sacrificial worship to him. And it would be wrong of me to not encourage you to do that because actually if we do that and it works right it can be a great blessing to mm. you so my challenge is what what are you doing to serve god are you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to him are you beating yourself up because you can't do what you used to be able to do 
do you need to actually let yourself off the hook and say, actually, God, okay, I can't do what I used to do, but what do you want me to do now? What is my service to you in this season of my life? And it might be something unseen. If it's just encouraging people, ringing people up, talking to them, you might think, oh, well, that's not very much, but actually that can be amazing for those people who are on the other end of that encouragement. Maybe God wants you to serve in a different way. Maybe actually you've already got this worked out and you are serving and you're getting joy in that and this is just to encourage you. Yeah, keep going. If you haven't found your place yet to serve in the body of Christ, why not begin to think and pray about this today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you want each one of us to be part of your kingdom. And actually, as part of your kingdom, we have to do things sometimes. It's not all about doing, but we have to do things. We have to lead, we have to encourage we have to administer, we have to make things work in your kingdom. And I thank you that you call each one of us to take our part to do that. And thank you, God, that what a blessing it is when we really see that begin to happen, when we see people begin to, to serve. And when we, we serve you, we do it with joy because we know that you have freely given us all things. So, Father, I pray today against any sense of guilt or any sense of judgment or any sense of comparison that anyone might have between them and other people. But I pray that you will release each one of us to serve you in your kingdom, whether it's inside the church or outside the church, to serve you with our hearts, to give our bodies as living sacrifices. May we do it with joy, not out of fear, not out of condemnation, not out of thinking that you're watching, although we know that you are, but out of love and joy because of the mercy and grace that you have given to each one of us. So God, we give ourselves to you again today as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. May you build this church into a great body, working together for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.